0: Welcome to episode 27 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. Another journey recorded and it is always delightful to record a person's history in the game. Again, I say thank you to the people who support this initiative in its various forms. The feedback, both positive and constructive, is always welcomed and I will endeavour to improve the finished product. In terms of the people nominating potential interviewees, I am always willing to follow up a suggestion. I have a list of several people coming up, but if people are willing to talk to me, I'll endeavour to get them in front of the microphone. This episode's interviewee had a humble beginning in Marilla and ascended well into the football stratosphere in Australia. His refereeing career took him through various tiers of Australian football, and additionally took him overseas. Strebrei Dolovsky was a goalkeeper before he started refereeing full-time. I thoroughly enjoyed him recalling different parts of his immense career. His honesty and easy-going nature made me feel relaxed at the start of the interview and it is these characteristics that show why he was a cornerstone of refereeing in the A-League for over a decade. It was an honor to interview a man who has achieved so much and continues to work hard in the game for what he believes in. I am extremely respectful of Streb Ray's body of work in our community. Finally, I thank him for giving up a couple of hours on a Sunday morning to come to the interview. Please enjoy this interview. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here on a Sunday morning um, in the Vic Milne Hall at Uh, Bowergownie, officially opened in 1963 and I'm extremely happy and excited about this interview today and I'd like to welcome and thank Strebrey Delovsky for for coming here on a Sunday morning out of his own time. Strebrey, thank you. Not a problem. Uh, Let's um, delve straight into your rich soccer slash football career. Um, you were born and raised in Rarilla and um, you started your soccer journey um, at Shell Harbour. So, can you talk a bit about growing up in Rarilla and um, and then uh, your first club, Shell Harbour?
1: Yeah, sure. Look, um, you know, parents migrated from from Macedonia back in the in the in the uh, mid '70s. Um, I was born in '75 and um, started playing for Shell Harbour um, under sevens, I guess. And um, you know, not not a very good player, but um, you know, I put the boots on and, and love waking up in the mornings, um, really early actually, having the shin pads on and, and the socks <laughs> and the boots and ready to get out to Barrack Oval to to um, have a kick around. So it was um, yeah, really good times.
0: And and with um, those initial years, and and um, you were playing uh, at right or left back, um, like you said, and you were pretty humble, saying you were average. Um, so uh, not many of us are Roberto Carlos anyway but what do, what do you remember of those days in terms of uh, players that you played with um, and, and coaches that you may have had?
1: Yeah, look, I, I remember um, particularly those those earlier years um, Steve Macheski was, was, was coaching, um, uh, was my coach at the time and, um, you know, I don't remember too many of the, the players that, that went on from there but, um, you know, we a we weren't a bad team, but we weren't a, um, a top fourteen. team, but we are always a, a mid-table in, in that uh, first division. But, look, you know, we, we competed and we, we, we played well and we made finals from time to time, but um, it wasn't until, I guess, the, uh, you know, around under-13s, under-14s when things started changing for me.
0: And they changed because you change position. Effectively, the biggest change you can make, I guess, is going from the outfield to goalkeeper. So how did that come about?
1: Yeah, well, look, we had an under sevens tournament, Kaima Under Sevens, back in the day, so it was a pretty popular tournament. And um, the goalkeeper at the time um, was unavailable, and they said, Well, who, who wants to put their hand up? And, you know, I, I was playing either right fullback or left fullback or on the bench. So, yeah, I said, Look, I'm, I'm happy to get some game time and put <laughs> my hand up. And um, funnily enough, I, I, I actually played pretty well, and um, we actually won it. So, yeah, I guess that's where the goalkeeping started from.
0: And um, from there, did you um, sort of uh, get more excited or delve into sort of um, NSL or, or European football more from a goalkeeping perspective? Because that sort of started your journey there as a goalkeeper?
1: Yeah, look, I, I've always been, um, you know, I, I remember w- waking up and um, all the SBS Serie um, A shows and, you know, they were on TV and then there'd always be a tribute um at the end of the SBS telecast and um on, on certain players and I remember I had the VHS tape in <laughs> play and record ready to go. Um so I had I think I nearly had every tribute that um that SBS uh you know went to air. So I was um yeah look I remember watching Serie A and that was you know that was pretty special. And and before we go any further about um your
0: goalkeeping in your teens and early twenties and and where that took you, um what about um, was there a uh, in the afternoon when you were growing up? Did you ever go with your your folks or friends to um, uh, games around the Illawarra and, and support any teams or go and watch any games?
1: No, not not really. I, I think it was uh, you know just go to just go to junior sport, come home and um, you know do the do the whole family thing. Uh, you know I didn't really at, at that age. I don't think my father really supported any clubs in the Illawarra. Um, so I, I don't remember really going to any of the Premier League clubs, and and at
0: fifteen you, uh, which was probably the ninety one season, you, you joined youth grade at Shell Harbour. So that's um, I guess a, a pretty young age. Um, I guess it was probably probably the norm back then. So um, how did that come about, and um, who who were the coaches at Shell Harbour at the time?
1: Yeah, I I've, I can't remember who the coach was, but. I got called up to, as a I guess as a um as a uh, goalkeeper and substitute goalkeeper for the, for the under 19s I think it was at, at yep. those in in those yeah, days it was. and um you know had had some games whilst playing for the under 15s I still had you know would go then back up and do So you are dual registered? Dual registered and and back up and do um some of those games as well. And um was that at Barrick Heights Oval as well? Yeah, um, I was at Barrick Heights, yes.
0: So it was just to, uh, you know, play your junior soccer and then help out. Pretty much. Help out there. So in the next year after, though, um, you didn't stick it out at Shell Harbour um, for another season. You went to Illawarra Um And so um, was that a group of mates or school friends that got you to go there? Because you were, um, I guess at that point in time, there was three tiers um, in the... Uh, illawarra leagues in terms of the men's leagues and this was the the third tier of the second division so um and you were playing first grade at at 16 so how did that come about
1: yeah look i i got a call up from i guess um a family friend that was involved with the club and um i guess had seen me play goalkeeper and um might have a good game or something i don't know but he said look come over and play we need a reserve grade keeper uh at illawarra pallister so i was you're right i was 16 and um I said, yeah, well, why not? We'll give it a go. So I I went over there to get, I guess, probably some more game time again. And um, the first grade keeper got injured or or was unavailable or something, or I think I was even maybe training pretty well at the time. And um, maybe second, third game in, I, I played first grade. And I think... Kembala, there was a couple of big teams back then. Kembala, Joe yeah. Coelho was still yep. was playing for them at the time. So, um, you know, it was still a relatively pretty strong league for first grade. And, um, yeah, for the rest of the season, played first grade. So it was, and, yeah. and how
0: did you enjoy that? Because you were playing, and, and again, um, I've said it to the um, 60 or 120 people to listen to this podcast that I'm no Les Murray, so I apologise in advance if I don't get the names right. But you were playing with um, Billy Stajoski, um Nick Matreski, uh, Vlade Grue- Gruevsky um, Mendo Kutowski, um Kane Jenner, Kieski so there's some bikes that have uh, been around the traps and, and can play a bit of soccer.
1: Yeah absolutely and, and it was good to get experience from those guys and um, you know that ruffled me up a bit you know but it was, it was good it was it was a great experience and um, you know playing with some of those you know I mentioned Joe Coelho but in, in the Illawarra well, well known well respected yeah. and they're the types of players that were even going around now. I think it was the second division, um, yeah. you know, so it was still, it, it was a great experience.
0: And did you enjoy that sort of camaraderie? Um, you had the youth grade before, but now you're amongst, out and out, bunch of blokes. Um, how did you find that aspect of, of the
1: sport? Yeah, it was pretty scary, actually. I, I think, um, you know, still 16 years old, I guess, and these guys are full-grown men and I guess like post-match, like most other clubs, <laughs> you know, they're sitting there having beers and I'm, I'm sitting to the side going, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing. <laughs> but it was, um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a good experience.
0: And do you remember who coached that team um, in That's that year? That's a good question. No, I don't. No. And, and it wasn't a, a great year in terms of table position, but I'm sure, you know, like you said, you are playing against, there was a sprinkling of quality players in that second division still. So did you learn a lot as a keeper?
1: Yeah, I did. actually I did. I, um, you know, I guess the, the, probably the biggest thing I learned was um, you know coming out for, for corners and things like that, and the confidence that that builds, and I guess the, the players that were around me at the time giving me the confidence and, and, that, and that was probably the next step up from I guess junior football or, or the youth grade stuff, um, where you had the support of those guys, and you know that, that worked well.
0: And and the next year, again, um, you changed clubs and, and you went to Coniston, Macedonia. So, um, again, was that more someone uh, seeked, seek, saw you play with Illawarra Pellister and then said, come along to Connor?
1: Yeah, look, I think it was one of those mates things where, yep. um, um, at the time, you know, a good mate of mine was, was Tony Namoski. Um, and he he had been playing for Coniston for, for a year or two, and... They needed a goalkeeper, same sort of thing, and I I moved over with, and I, I'd known those some of those guys uh, previously, uh, growing up in football, uh, they would excelled to Illawarra teams and and things like that, so I thought it was a good opportunity to, a be with my mates, but also, um, b uh, you know having a pretty strong squad in in the, in the Premier League.
0: And so to put it in context, and I don't want to disparage um, Shell Harbour um, when you played there or or Illawarra-Pellister as well, but um, Coniston were on the ascendancy then and probably in one of their golden periods that they'd just come up um, in the last couple of years in the first vision. I think they'd won the Premier League the year before um, and and were a very strong club in all three grades. So um, when you got there, you must have been pretty excited about what you saw.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think... I think it was Harry Satin that was coaching Coniston first grade team and they they had, um, you know, Graeme Fletcher playing and, you know, Illawarra goalkeeper Steve Skokaleski in goals and um, uh, Harry Satin, I think, was still playing actually, actually at the time if, if he wasn't. Um, but um, the youth grade, even the youth grade squads in the Premier League around then were very, very strong. You know, you had your Lysarts and you had your Port Kemblers and um, Bull Eyes and, you know, very, very strong youth grade competition.
0: And in terms of, um, you know, that youth grade team that you played with and, and like you said, um, in your timeline, you made um, two grand finals in a row and um, unfortunately lost it and, and you were the backup keeper to Steve um in first grade. So, um, you know, talk a bit about those couple of years that you had at Cono because, um, you know, there were some quality players, like you said.
1: Yeah, look... Uh... Players like, uh, I guess, Vlado Serbenosky, um who was unlucky to, to go overseas, didn't get a chance to go overseas due to injury. I mean, Billy Joukowsky played for, for the Wolves at, um, when he was very young. And Tony Namoski, as I said, Chris That there was a number of really quality players or, that we had in Coniston. Um, and, and rivalries developed pretty quickly, I guess, with Port Kembla and Lysarts and... I think the first year that I was there, we um, beat Lysarts in the semi-finals to go through to the grand final and then got pumped in the grand final. I was at yeah. Balls Paddock, I'll never forget it. I think it was 5-0. And they had, you know, they had some, some great players, that Lysart's the Spencers and yeah. um, Saunders and Shepherds and all the, they were a very strong team. Um, they beat us 5-0 in the grand final, it just wasn't our day. And then, <clears throat> uh, again, um, the following year, we made the grand final and were beaten by Port Kembler in the, in the last, I guess, couple of minutes to lose 2-1 in the grand final. So two years in a row, <laughs> two, two grand finals lost.
0: But in, um, in saying that, um, the guys that you played with there at Coniston, you've really had a passion um, for football because you did concurrently while you were playing there, um, you've had an indoor soccer team or a futsal team. Um, what were they called? How did that name come about? And, and you were a very successful team
1: yeah look again when when I started with Coniston um, with, with the quality of players that we had we we decided it was the summer after the Premier League had finished, we decided to um, create a futsal team and we'll called we, we 'll we'll call the nutties. Um I guess that that probably resonated a little bit from our Coniston days where those those types of players that we 've already mentioned you know like to Play that type of football yep. or a few nutmegs and things <laughs> like that and really enjoyed it. So we, we created a team called Nutties and uh, I was out at Coniston. We played at Coniston um, Indoor Soccer Centre at yep. the time. And we went on to the state titles, actually. We entered the state titles. It was only a couple of months after we, we formed the team. And, um, you know, I, I remember going into the state finals. I was at Minto in Sydney. And we we rocked up there and, you know, we... We borrowed jerseys from Cringilla Soccer Club <laughs> and um, we, you know, guys just wearing all different types of equipment and you had all the Australian players walk in and um, that, were, that were representing Futsal Ruse, and they all had gear and bags and we said, <laughs> well, what, what the hell are we getting ourselves into? <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we weren't coached by anyone or anything, it was just um, a bunch of mates that decided to, to create a team and we actually won it. We actually won the state titles. And from that, um, a couple of the players, including myself, um, got selected to play for New South Wales at the, at the national titles. So we entered also the national titles um, in Canberra at the time, and um, whilst losing for Coniston two years in a row in the grand final, we also lost our um, futsal national titles two years in a row in the grand final. So it was two years, four, four grand finals we lost, so <laughs> wasn't good on that
0: front. <laughs> And what about yourself from a goalkeeping perspective? Um, I've had uh, quite a few goalkeepers on the podcast. Um, what was the difference for you uh, in terms of playing outfield and then playing futsal? Because obviously you did well in both, but what did you prefer?
1: Yeah, look, I think that I started enjoying goalpe- the goalkeeping a bit more Sorry, um, because the, the, the experience with your feet in the earlier days, I think helped me, um, as, as most people are aware now. Goalkeepers, the goalkeeping's changed completely. You look at the Matt Ryans now and, you know, um, all the goalkeepers around the world, the, the top-class goalkeepers, you know, they want you to play out from the back. You're, you're a deep sweeper or, um, you know, it's, it's really, really changed from just a shot-stopper to, you know, an all-round all game, particularly playing out, from, playing out from the back now with, with football changing.
0: And and in terms of, um, uh, I guess around this same time, but we'll get more into your refereeing career, um, where you're sort of synonymous in Australia um, at an A League level. But but at this time as well, you know, your time management skills must have been fantastic because you're you're refereeing um, at a junior level. You're also playing with Coniston, and you're also playing futsal, even though it was a sort of out of season. But there must have been for you a real, I guess, passion and drive to to be amongst the sport.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it was um, in those teenage years, I think it's just something that you do. You, you love football, you, you love playing. Any opportunity you get or, or something pops up, you, you just want to get the ball and have a kick around. Um, but you're right, I, I started refereeing when I was 15 um, and was juggling playing um, for Coniston at the time and um, also refereeing junior football in the mornings and then um you know towards those um you know years of seventeen, eighteen, i had to make a decision um because i was excelling i guess in my refereeing in, in the junior yep. football and was identified as 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 a potential so i um had to then basically make a decision at 18 whether i was going to continue to play or um go the refereeing side and that meant I would have to be refereeing Premier League football, and, that, and that's why I had to to um, make a decision on that one. And and you did, um, before you sort of left the playing ranks officially,
0: you did get two years in at um, Illawarra United, which was State League, um, and then that sort of helped in terms of your refereeing as well because they both played on Saturday and then Sundays, weren't they? Yeah, that's correct. So what do you remember of those uh, Illawarra United days?
1: Yeah, look. I, I, again, it was just um, pretty much passion of football. Still be involved, still play. I just didn't just uh, cut the umbilical cord. I guess you know, right on eighteen, um, it meant that I would still be refereeing in the Illawarra Premier League on a Saturday. Um, I hadn't joined the state federation yet, uh, which meant playing on sun uh, refereeing on Sundays as well. But Illawarra United, or Wilma Macedonia at the time, I think they were called, was would play on Sundays. So it was yep. again just to. Play youth grade, again, not very good. I think I was playing... We, we didn't have players at the time, so I was struggling <laughs> to fill a team. So, you know, I'd be either playing right fullback or somewhere in, somewhere there just to, I guess, take up a spot on the field. And let's, let's go to your, um, your
0: refereeing, and, and like you said, you started when you were sort of 15 and, and um, when uh, one of your friends, Peter Vitikowski, um said, look, it's a, a great chance for extra pocket money. And so, um, you know, that's, that's probably the normal story for referees in terms of how they get into the sport, um, a bit of extra pocket money. But quite clearly in the first three or four years, um, it's one thing to, I guess, be identified, um, but there's another about uh, wanting to get into it full time. So um, what sort of attracted you to refereeing?
1: Yeah, again, like, like you said, it was the, the pocket money early on uh, like you said, um, 99.9% of referees or young referees um, take up the whistle because it's good pocket money. It means that I don't have to work at, at a McDonald's or KFC or something. Not that that's anything wrong with that. No, no, no. But um, it, it's also an opportunity to still be a part of the game. You know, you're on the field. You're communicating. Um, it, you know, you're learning life skills, which is also really important. Um, and, and I was cash in the hand at the time, so it was, it was really good. You, 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 could use that money and then you're, you're off, I guess, in the teenage years and you go buy yourself something or use it a bit later on to, to, to go out. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was very handy. Well, I'm sure no one at the ATO is listening, so it's all, it's all good.
0: <laughs> um, you, you sort of, um, said you were identified. Um, how did that identify, identification come about? Did when you were coaching in those junior ranks in those sort of latter teen years, 15 to 18, before you joined the senior ranks who, who comes up to you and sort of says, um, hey, Shrebrae, um, I think you'd be good being a senior referee.
1: What do you think? Yeah, look, I uh, that just names that come to mind were uh, like Paul Heininger and uh, Mike Shedden yep. and Eddie Udalinden who, who were yep. the, the, the youth um, or the junior committee at the yep. time of the referees and would go around and look at referees and, I guess, um, hear from, you know, the clubs of yep. this person's got some potential and then they'll come out and say... I'll, I'll never forget, I think it was uh, Mike Sheddon that, um, or it was Paul or Mike Sheddon one afternoon, I, I just finished my um, under-12s game or whatever it was and they said, do you want to come up to Picton to do a senior-grade line? And that was pretty amazing to, to be involved in Premier League, um, you know, to do, to do a line. So I, I was about 16 or 17, and I hopped in the car and we drove to Picton. And I did two, young, uh, you know, did two lines, and I got paid 70, 80 dollars or whatever it was yep. at the time. And I thought that was pretty special. And then, you know, I, I, I must have performed well because, you know, I started getting a few of those appointments then coming up, moving forward. And in terms
0: of, um, I guess, your junior refereeing and even those early years um, doing the lines in the senior ranks. Do you think um, yourself, playing at Shell Harbour at youth grade at a younger age and then even playing first grade with Illawarra Pallister at 16, do you think that uh, gave you a level of confidence that you'd been around, you know, adult men um, for a period of time so that sort of helped with your confidence?
1: Yeah, look, absolutely. I, you know, it all was moving very quickly at the time. Uh, You know, thinking back, um, I I don't think it was just all, you know come over here, do this game, do this game, you're appointed to this game, you know, and it was just all very quick and it just all happened very quickly. Um, and But I, I agree that, you know, playing the game helped me understand, or particularly positioning for as a referee to yep. try and anticipate where play's going and things like that, I think helped me. And also, I think you're right, dealing with the men, you know, in my, you know 15, 16, also helped me communicate with players, um, I guess... Early on, which you know, I, I I took on as as part of my game that you know that's what I like to do to communicate with the players. I thought it was really important. And in terms of um, sort of that sort of year where you I guess
0: uh, break out and have a breakout season, in terms of refereeing, yours was sort of that mid nineties ninety five when you're twenty and then you. Um Took over twice, uh, once from Phil Torpy, who's you know well known uh, in Illawarra in terms of what he's done in the game, and and Kevin March as well. So um, uh, two slightly different referees, and and Kevin had his playing career as well. So tell us a bit about those two uh, games um, that you had there.
1: Yeah, I uh, was doing. Um but by that stage I joined seniors and I was doing um, youth grade got promoted to do reserve grade centres I guess so there was, um, under 18s reserve grade and first grade in the Premier League then and I was refereeing um, reserve grade which meant I'd have to back up and do a line for, for the first grade team and it was that, that year that um, I think it was Phil Torpy that was the first one that pulled a hamstring and <laughs> um, actually I, I came on second half and and again, both games that I did come on was actually Wollongong Olympic. And I think I think one of the games, I, I, I actually, both games, I think I had a red card in both games and they're both to the Wollongong Olympic. And one of them actually was, I think, Peter Kotomanides, who I, um, you know, speak to from time to time now. So, yeah, it was very, very interesting. And I guess that was breakthrough because um, both games, it was reported and, um, you know, in the press that I'd come on and, and had a very good game. So we're words started getting out and um you know I, I was given more and more opportunities in the in the better games
0: and were that were they your first two first grade um, centers that you did so um what did you think at the time like i guess it was a good thing that you just came on and you just didn't have any mental preparation it was just good to get into it and do what you did in the other grades
1: yeah look in the uh, i guess you know my dream at the time when I, when I, when I took up the whistle and, and became a bit more serious and left the football was just to do a Premier League first grade game. Uh, that was that was the dream, you know. Yeah. I had no thoughts of FIFA or A-League or anything yeah. like that. I wouldn't wouldn't have a clue what that meant at the time. And, you know, just to get an opportunity to do that in front of, you know, back in the day that there were some big crowds and, you know, you had a couple of thousand people at, at the game. So to, to be the centre of... Well, not the centre of attention, but I guess the conductor in the orchestra yeah, was 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 pretty special. So you know, I I, I took that on. I had, I enjoyed myself, and um, yeah, I guess the rest moved on from there.
0: And and in terms of. Um sort of 96 you became a regular first grade referee in the Illawarra, but you also um, again joined the New South Wales State League Referees Association to do State League games. So um, uh, obviously you wanted to sort of uh, start excelling more and and sort of challenging yourself, but uh, what what was the difference in terms of Illawarra Premier League and, and State League that you saw when you first did State League games?
1: Yeah, when when I started refereeing Premier League, there, there was then, I guess, a, a bit of a career path and, and opened up, a few doors opened up and I'd been identified from some people in Sydney, um, the State League branch, and they said, look, it's probably, you know, time that you join the State League branch so you can look to do, um, you know, NPL one, yep. football or, or State League, whatever it was called back then. Um and that that's then a, a stepping stone onto A League and or, or the um, old NSL. National Soccer League. Yep. Um, and you know I didn't have a clue what that meant at the time, but uh, after a few discussions, I thought, yeah, look, this is something that I want to do. Uh, you know, you, you go from Premier League in Illawarra, but then you drop you drop down pretty quickly into like Division Threes, Division Fours yep. in Sydney. So you go on to places that you'd never even. Consider <laughs> going to, and, and refereeing teams that are like Division 3, 4, and that was like really tough football, you know. Um, you sometimes rock up, you didn't have a linesman, or and you're trying to deal with men that, um, you know, discipline's not um, one of their strong points. And, um, you know, you'd go to all these places, and but you would be assessed, and not, not every game, but people look at you, you get your reports. Yep. And um, I must have been doing well because you, you progress through groups, of referees, um, and then you get promoted as well or relegated, and I, I moved through the ranks pretty quickly in, in Sydney. So, in terms of, um, I guess refereeing, and I guess
0: um, plays, and sometimes administrators and even coaches don't, um, or coaches maybe do, but they don't understand um, the assessment part of the role. You know, um, I guess the players get assessed by their coaches whether they're picked or not, and coaches get assessed by their fans and and their committees, but um, referees are continually assessed. So um, how did that aspect of uh, being reviewed um, come come in terms of your personality? How did you take it?
1: Yeah, I, I took it on board. It was a learning experience. Um, th- these guys that, that come out to watch referees or assess or inspect, you know, aren't there to crucify you or, you know, put holes in your game or anything. Yep. It's, it's there also as a support, but also to assess your performance and and report back, I guess, to the convener because there also have... There's pathways and there's systems that you go through to, I guess, you know, get identified and then coached and developed moving forward into the, you know, first-grade NPL um, games and onto A-League or National Soccer League at the time.
0: And so in that period, sort of that sort of mid to late 90s, was... Was that becoming more the focus that obviously once you started doing those lower divisions of the State League and started going through, you thought, well, um, I want to potentially referee National Soccer League games here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was really good that I was still refereeing. So what I was doing, it was, it, was, it was really tough at the time. You know, a couple of years there I was refereeing on a Saturday doing Illawarra Premier League. Yep. And then I would be backing up on a Sunday Sunday um, driving to Sydney early in the morning doing youth grade um they were, they, were, they were tough tough years looking back particularly you know 18 19 20 where you know we're we'll, we'll going out at the yeah. time and you'd be out till you know two three in the morning <laughs> and then you'd you'd go home for a couple hours sleep and then you'd be driving to Sydney and you know you're looking back you go how the hell did you do that <laughs> um but it was it was good it was fun times as I said uh you know I'd made a decision then that that's what I wanted to do. I was I was committed. And, you know, I'd be driving to training as well to Sydney yep. during the week. So I'd be, you know, I was at work and then I'd have to catch a train or drive to, to training to, you know, to be part of the team. Uh, referees are no different to players. Whichever When you look at a, a player and how they develop... Um, and the, how they need to develop from grassroots all the way to the elite referees are no different, so they need the coaches. They need someone to support them. No different to a coach. And I guess the other aspect to
0: that is, is the camaraderie as well. Do you think um, the camaraderie that you developed amongst your peers in the Illawarra sort of kept you doing the IPL there in those years
1: as well? Absolutely. I mean, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed you know refereeing the Illawarra Premier League because we, we mentioned some of the players, but you know. You know the Port Kemblers, and you know they had they had star started teams at the, at the time, and it was it was great refereeing those guys because there was also a level, level of respect yep. uh, amongst those guys that I guess you know you could communicate with, and um, I guess they, I was well received amongst the players because like, that was my style of refereeing. So it was enjoyable refereeing the big games, you know, in front of big crowds. So. Again, as I said, no referees are no different. Players love playing in front of big crowds. It's no different to referees. And And in terms of um, sort of that sort of, I guess
0: late '90s and early 2000s, you then sort of were doing MPL, MPL state league games, but how did you then transition um, into the NSL? How did that come about?
1: Yeah, so again, it's it's like any representative process. I guess you, you, you're identified, you, you're you part of the um, particular groups, Group 1 or Group 2, and you're refereeing State League um, or, you know, on, on the crust of State League. And yeah. then they do the panels that the panels came out for the NSL. So there was like a Youth League panel where you'd have a Youth League linesman's panel, Youth League referees panel, then yeah. you had your... NSL linesman's panel and NSL first grade referees panel. And so so when, you, when you
0: say panel, it's just a group of referees to select in each fixture comes up. You're on the panel, you can potentially be selected for different fixtures. Absolutely, correct, yep.
1: 100%. So at that level, um, in junior football, you're a referee and a linesman and you back up and you yep. do both. Um, but when it gets to the um, elite level, yep. you, you either make a decision whether you're going to be assistant referee or referee. Yep. So you don't do both. Yep. You, take one, you take one road.
0: And, and obviously, um, as, the, as the facts and statistics show, that you decided the centre. So um, was that just a, a personal decision, assessing yourself, saying, well, I'm good in terms of liaising with players and, and my demeanour with them, so I'd prefer to do that rather than running the line?
1: It was actually, it's funny, you, you, you don't really select it. People select it for you. Okay. Um, because they identify that you're a very good assistant referee, you a very good referee, um, and they and then some things change in your career, and and that's really picked for you. And when I became an, a linesman on the old NSL, it was I think 2004, so it was just the year before the um, the A League transition, the transition from... period, and I was a linesman on that, and um, it was actually a funny story. You know, that's when the old NSL was at its worst, and that, yeah. particularly that last year, people knew that it was going to be a new A-League and things were changing. And I remember my last game, I was at Parramatta Power, um, the old Parramatta Stadium, yeah. and I was uh, linesman number two, which meant there was no one behind me in the grandstand as <laughs> I was facing the grandstand. and um, Funnily enough, I counted 438 spectators at the game. <laughs> so... Um, But at the time, I I was... uh, You go through the ranks, sort of, you know, became a youth league linesman, you became a youth league ref, and then the next transition was youth youth, uh, NSL assistant referee.
0: And in terms of that um, old NSL, where had you got to in terms of the panel that you're on? Were you just at that sort of youth grade line um, panel or had you progressed uh, to the senior senior line? So
1: I, I did one year as a senior... Yep. Um, linesman at the time it was called, senior linesman on the NSL. Yep. And that was 2004, I think. So it was the last year before it broke up. So then uh, during that transition period, it was, um, you know, uh, the panels came out for, for the new A-League yep. when, in 2005. And I wasn't on the panel as a linesman or a referee. Um, so I wasn't initially selected. And I remember... Um, during the first ever A-League referee seminar that, that came ab- about, there was a, a, a couple of guys, um, Simon Mikalev at the time and also Kondi that yeah. um, um, there were some things where they resigned from the panel and no longer said so there was a vacancy. And I remember being viewed at a, a game by then-director of referees Richard Lorenck, who came out to watch me on an MPL1 game. Uh, and I was Blacktown versus Sydney United, I think it was. I was at Blacktown and had, had a very good game and he said, well, that's it, you're on the panel. You're on the um, referees panel and, and that's how that happened.
0: And in terms of before that game that sort of got you, I guess, back in the door at, at, at the elite level because you were, before the NSL stopped, you know, you, I guess your trajectory was going upwards anyway, but were you slightly disappointed that you didn't get on that initial panel? Um, and and then did you just say, well, I'm going to work as hard as I can in the state league to potentially get back there?
1: It was a it was a pretty weird situation because um, the NSL had stopped, and there was a big tra- like a year and a half or something yeah. where nothing happened. So um, no decisions were made until like early on in the in um, when the panels came out a few weeks before the start of the um, A League season 2005. So no one really knew what was happening so you know there wasn't a no disappointment at the time I was still refereeing um, by that stage um, first grade NPL yep. um, and everything that revolved around that when the panels did get released I, I guess I knew I wasn't one of the best assistant referees at the time and I thought well okay he's, he's a chance and the referees panel was much shorter yep. uh, or smaller sorry and you know I accepted that yeah, okay, well, I'll still, if I need to, if I want to get there, which was obviously a goal and a dream, to be on the NSL, um, you know, at the time you got there's a new league. Imagine refereeing an NSL first grade game or a uh, um, A League first grade game was, would have been was special. So, um, you
0: you're then on the panel. Um, uh, what did you think? I mean, because the A League was you know put forward um, as a sort of revamp of the old NSL. Um, you must have been uh, sort of happy that, A, you're on the panel and, and um, potentially about to do some games.
1: So the referees in, in the first year of the A-League were, were either on an A-panel or a B-panel. Yep. So the A-panel, I guess, were the regular, regular referees and the B-panel were guaranteed two games in, in the year yep. as a minimum. So I was on the B-panel as, as a, you know, coming in late... And uh, I remember my first two games. Uh, my first game was uh, Newcastle versus Queensland Raw at the time. I had two red cards. It was, I had an absolute shocker. That was my first ever game. Um, I remember sat, sending two, Matt Mackay was one. And I think the big thing back then was simulation. Yep. And um, I had a second yellow card to Matt Mackay for, for simulation. And it was never a yellow card. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, didn't have a good game. Yep. Um, and I thought, well, okay, well, I still got one more to. We'll see how we're going. All right, the second game was Central Coast versus Wellington. Nothing much. else was probably, I think it was the last game of the season actually, and nothing much happening. And you know, last two minutes there was an all-in brawl on <laughs> a big a melee close to the sideline. And um, yeah, I th- you know, first season wasn't one to remember anyway. And in terms of.
0: Um can you give us an insight into sort of that sort of feedback a referee gets uh, even self-assessment and the assessment you get from, um, from the people that select the, the A and B panels in terms of, terms of the game? Because sometimes, as a spectator, I'm watching it and you think, well, the referee's had a pretty good game, but then a couple of one or two decisions, like you said, red cards and whatnot, are really then focused upon and then sort of all these little one percenters can be very good but then maybe you know interpretation or whatnot. Um, the focus just becomes on five percent, and the other sort of ninety, ninety-five percent of the game is then just what the referee's done is just left left behind.
1: I think it's um, referees a little bit like goalkeepers. You know, uh, you you could you can perform excellent for ninety-nine uh, for eighty-nine minutes of the game, and then there's one decision, and that's what you get remembered by. Um, those key match decisions are you know, like a goalkeeper, you, you could pull off 10 saves and one goes through your legs and yep. that's all you get remembered by and, and no different to referees. Um, I've had many games in my career where I've performed extremely well and then there's one decision that kills you. <laughs> I guess that's part and parcel of, of refereeing. But, you know, you, yes, you do get assessed but um, whilst, we, you know, key match decisions are, are critical, whether it's a penalty or a red card or, or, or those types of incidents, you know, the overall game is is also looked at and you know there's a lot of factors that come into it you know certain areas like positioning and you know fitness and movement and all these uh, you know laws of the game making sure that you tick all those boxes now to 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 a general spectator it might not mean nothing but the the assessors you know did did you make an error in law Did did you you know that red card it probably should have been you know Yellow or what? There's an assessor there, and they, they put together a report. Now, particularly at the at the elite level, every every match is has an assessor, and th- those reports go to the director of referees at the time, or FIFA or AFC, to and then they, again, it, your performances, if you know, they're looked at, and then that's uh, assessed and honor games down the track. Um, that's that's how they appoint those those types of referees. And in terms of yourself, do you think um, your body
0: of work when you came into the A-League was was extremely solid and you had a good sort of base, in, in, especially in terms of, um, uh, you know, I remember games, uh, I guess in the 90s watching them and, and yourself, but and um, you've said it yourself in terms of your style, but you had a really good um, interaction with players and a good demeanour and and I guess a good attitude. Did, did that sort of help you in the sense that you, you knew that you had that in you so you could focus on the other areas of being a good referee?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I also think the experience that I gained through those early years of going to State Federation, you know, Division 3s <laughs> and Division 4s and um, dealing with people that are, you know, like most clubs, you know, is doing the canteen, is doing the the security, is <laughs> doing player coach, all that dealing with those types of people and and understanding that the the work that they put into clubs and understanding what players coaches go through is also key because when you're making those decisions, you know, um, or players come up to you and they're frustrated, you, you got to understand that you have you need to have a feeling yeah. that this is this is football, this is what happens, and you got to understand that rather than. You know, I've always been that type of referee rather than the policeman approach because yep. I feel that um, it helps. You know, if you can go in calm and confident, players re- also pick up on that as well. You know, especially the elite players, the experienced players, they can if, sort of you, smell that in a sense. Absolutely, absolutely. So if you if you're not confident, they they smell that and they'll they'll eat you alive.
0: And in terms of um, you know your, your A League career, which was over 140 games, you know. Um, you go into sort of that season three just being a fourth official um, and, and as you said in your timeline, you were basically going to be cut um, but you were given another opportunity uh, when Wellington played Perth and so um, uh, you had a very good game. What was good about that game and um, how do you feel in terms of knowing that you're potentially going to be cut and then there's pressure on yourself as a referee?
1: Yeah, look, I it was... It was again a, a a situation where season one had the two games, and, and the rest of the season was fourth official, and didn't have a good year. Second year wasn't even given an opportunity to to come back from that, and third year I guess it was viewed by the coaches at the time or assessors that look, he's getting a bit on, um, you know, don't think he's going to make it. Yep. Um, you know, they had a meeting. I know they had a, they, they had a meeting to say that look, this bloke we can cut him for next year and then we can get someone else in. So I knew that that was the case and I was pretty much on the scrap heap. Yet there was a situation that arose, four four games left, the season three of the A-League. Some guys were away for FIFA um, commitments, uh, international commitments. Some guys were injured and basically there was no one left. (laughs) And they... they, It was between me and someone else and I was given an opportunity. I, I... got flown to to Wellington and um you know this was it this was this was the game that was going to make me or break me and there was there was actually a situation just a couple of weeks before that that was quite interesting how it worked out where I was fourth official again in Wellington um and there was an incident that happened right on halfway right in front of the benches and I could see this tackle coming from you know five minutes before and I remember being up off my chair and I diffused the situation by coming in early and and breaking it up and the assessor at the time who was from Wellington thought that was amazing that was fantastic that I I did that and that got reported back to the director of referees to say I want to watch this bloke referee um, and and see how he goes because I think he's got something and just by again coincidence that game up came up in Wellington where it came up and he was my assessor and um, I'll never forget. It was two red cards again in the game to Perth. One yep. was for to um, Jamie Harnwell yep. who, who, for a very bad tackle, straight red. And then there was, I think it was Nikolai Topper Stanley, a second yellow. Oh, might have I even been a uh, straight red again for a doxo denying obvious goal scoring opportunity. So both key match decisions correct, and um, had a really good report. And then I guess. The last three games of that season, um, I did all three games. So it was, um, yeah, I guess... And that, that was the 2008-2009 the
0: 2000, 2000, season. Um, and then you went into sort of that next season, 2009-2010, um,
1: and had a very good year. So, yeah, that, again, that that was, you know, I guess, had a bit of help from the commentators. <laughs> <laughs> they they probably liked my style of refereeing, and in particular... Um, Andy Harper, Brenton Speed, and even Simon Hill, who, who I get along with really well. Um, but, you know, I say to the young guys, it's get along with the commentators because <laughs> they're going to make you a break you. Uh But no, in all seriousness, um, that 2009 year, we had a, a, a big referee come and look after the referees, Mario van der yep. from, from Netherlands, who was a very decorated referee, World Cups and Champions League um, European Champions League games who became head of referees for a year and that 2009 year was um, really my year where I got all the big games um, wasn't the grand final but you know finals and, and you know derbies and, and that was when I got nominated for FIFA which basically meant um, the international accreditation which is the pinnacle for, for referees. It's
0: sort of like a, a limited positions available to do that isn't it?
1: So in Australia we only have seven spots Um, So to be one of seven was was pretty amazing. Um, So it's like
0: getting an SCG SCG membership to watch the cricket, isn't it, really?
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Australia have seven um, referee spots and nine assistant referee spots, um, and that's that's your uh, international accreditation, which basically then means you referee World Cup qualifiers, um, opportunity to get on the Asian Champions League to do those things, um, international friendlies all that, that, that's what a FIFA accreditation means. So it's the pinnacle for us and you need to have a FIFA accreditation to referee ultimately at a World Cup. So uh, I was given, I was nominated for that and rubber stamped by FIFA in 2009.
0: And what? what's the, um, is there any further sort of, I guess, exams or theory that you have to go to get that or is it once you're sort of doing the games at A-League level, it's pretty much being assessed and then and then given that rubber stamp, or is there any sort of exams or theory that you have to then pass to be FIFA accredited?
1: So it's ongoing, ongoing yep. fitness tests, ongoing laws of the game exams. Um, but in the first instance, there's a minimum requirement of refereeing two years um, at your highest level in yep. your country before you can get nominated. Um, so I ticked that box and I guess you know I was performing well. At the time, I think uh, there was a person retiring from, yep. from the panel. Uh, which, again, gave me an opportunity to step in or, or, or take that position, um, I guess. And that level of experience, particularly early um, in 2009, I, I think my first ever game involved at an international level was uh, fourth official for Australia versus Holland. Wow. So when they brought their star started line-up here at yeah. Sydney Football Stadium, um, you know blood from come from Morilla, and then all of a sudden you're in the dressing sheds or, or in the tunnel with those those Dutch players it was pretty cavalcade of stars. So yeah. so how is it? Um, uh, I guess
0: at, at any point, whether it be a player or a referee, how is it? Like you said, to to come from humble beginnings and and not be starstruck and and sort of, I guess you know you've got a level of professionalism and you've proven it over you know two decades, but is it just a matter of okay give yourself a moment of sort of soaking in this is this is fantastic and then okay i've got to do a job here as a fourth official
1: a- absolutely and and you got to switch on and you got to switch off i think um my, my style and referees at the elite level are all different some are very serious and they're focused from the minute they walk into yep. the stadium well i'm, I'm completely different i'm bit of a larrikin i I like to you know joke around Uh, we've got music pumping in the in in, in my games anyway music pumping in the dressing sheds and you go out you you warm up you have a laugh and then i come back in the sheds and then it's five minutes before everything you switch off and we're focused and you do the game and 100 percent focus and then you you finish the game and then you switch off and you you enjoy the moment
0: and and what about uh in terms of um you know, that 2009 year, you, you got that fee for accreditation. So you started doing some, some bigger games. Like you said, you did an O League game final between Auckland City and, and a team from the Solomon Islands, which I'll let you pronounce because, uh, like I said, I can't um, call a Alley. Uh, um, and, and also, you um, then had a, an opportunity to, uh, or you were appointed to referee Manchester United in Indonesia. Um, So that didn't eventuate. Can you sort of describe what had happened and sort of beforehand the sort of honour of refereeing one of the biggest clubs in the world?
1: Yeah, the A league final was um, the Oceania Champions League, I guess, or like AFC or uh, or European Champions League. So they have the Champions League and I was lucky enough to be, they had a home and away final and I was lucky enough to be part of the first final. So that was my first big appointment as an international referee yep. uh, to go to Oceania and referee Auckland City versus Kowali, I think they were called. Yep. So that was all went well, so that was pretty good. Um, and then I remember part of Manchester United's tour, um, they were playing Indonesia in 2009, yep. and I was selected to referee that game. I remember I did some press around it, the Laura Mercury and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that, Came around. And I remember sitting in my office on the Friday. So I was travelling to Indonesia, to Jakarta on this Saturday. Yep. So Friday I was at work. And a colleague came into the office of, of the afternoon and said, um, are you still going tomorrow? And I said, well, yeah, I'm still going tomorrow. What do you mean? <laughs> he said, have a look at the breaking news. And they just had the Jakarta bombings then. And the, the hotels that were bombed were the Hyatt and the Ritz-Carlton. Uh, Manchester United was staying at the Ritz-Carlton, and I'll, I, will, I would have been staying at the Hyatt. So, very quickly, um, new, news reports were coming through, and um, you know they cancelled the game. So, you know, that's 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 how it worked. So, um, I guess in, in
0: in a lot of respects, and it's tragic what ha- happened there, but. Um it still must have been a, a satisfying feeling being appointed to that game. You might not have been able to officiate at, at the game but, and have that sort of ticked off, but it must have still been satisfying in, in that respect.
1: Yeah, well, it was pretty special being, I guess, I guess identified. But in, in 2009, once, once I became FIFA, I was also assessed to become an Asian Champions League referee. So there's it's, it's a two-step process where you become FIFA, which basically yep. means you referee international games, uh, international friendlies or international club teams. But then there's a second part, which is Asian elite panel that's called of referees. So there's only a very small panel of referees in Asia, all of Asia, East and West, that are part of this panel that referee the Asian Champions League. So I was also selected on that, which I guess gave me this opportunity to do this game. So I guess that again, like you mentioned, that 2009-2010 year was pretty special because then, you know, the 2010 A league grand final was selected to do that, which was pretty special.
0: So in the space of, say, three, three or four years, you're sort of about to be cut and then, you know, the showpiece of Australian football, you know, you're officiating, you're in the centre and, um, you know, between two big rivals, Sydney and Melbourne, it must have been um, fantastic to sort of, the work that you must have put in, the support obviously you had from your family, but you know other colleagues to then turn it around into, a space of three or four years to what you'd become.
1: Yeah, it's just crazy how things work out, isn't it? But um, yeah, look, you know, to 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 be a when I got the uh, the call up for that game, I, I remember it was pretty special, and um, you know my wife Silvana and my two kids, it was it was pretty, you know pretty special ha- have, looking at them and saying, well, you know, with, without them I wouldn't have been able to do this. You know, refereeing, it's a bit crazy where, I guess like a player as well, you've got to have a supportive partner or wife because, you know, there's a lot of travel involved and, um, you know, they're at home looking at the kids, so it's it's difficult. But, you know, I remember looking back and, you know, thanking them for it and, um, you know, focus focusing for the match, you know, players and coaches prepare for matches they you know they look at videos they look at players how they play what they do referees are no different you know that week leading up to the grand final I prepare as normal yeah. uh, as most games where you sit down you look at the teams you see the way they play do they play long do they play short football do they play counter attack and that's all important in in your assessment because you have then you're prepared of how they might play that's not to say they will, but you're at least prepared. So, so you, you can, can anticipate sort of put your scenarios
0: in your head, your physical positioning on the ground and absolutely. all that. And I guess with the players, who you're going to potentially be interacting with and the personalities, because that's an important part as absolutely,
1: well. Absolutely, absolutely. So you, you don't go with any preconceived ideas, of course, but I think it's more so the, the, the style of play and, yep. and how they play so you can prepare accordingly. And, um, you know, if, if, if you've had an issue with a player... Throughout the season, you know, you can address it, you know, before or yep. try to try be proactive. So, it's all, you know, it's a bit of an art of how, how this is all done, you know. And uh, what about the
0: game itself, you know? Um, I, I do uh, have recollections of it because uh, I follow uh, Sydney FC. So, um, you know, they ended up winning on penalties. So, it was, a, from my perspective, I enjoyed it a lot. So, uh, what about yourself?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it was over in a flash. Um, even though I went to penalties, but I, I remember thinking when the game finished after the extra time um, grand finals leading up to that there was always controversy there was you know a red card or or something that supposedly ruined the grand final regardless so I remember finishing that at the time after 90 minutes and saying you know we haven't had any controversy and thank god you know that's from a referee's point of view you just want to finish the match and you're not the centre of attention so to speak so but I then also then straight away in the same moment said, righto, well, this isn't over yet. We've still got the penalty shootout, so anything can happen. And I remember Kevin Musket came up and took the first penalty, I think, and missed with a... Hit the post yep. or something. And I said, you know, we're, we're mic'd up and we're communicating to each other, the, the match officials. And I said, boys, this, this can, anything can happen here, so stay switched on. Yep. Keep, we can move off the line. We have to potentially make a huge decision, so it's not over, so but it was it was amazing you know 45,000 spectators um, Sydney Melbourne the big blue um, for a grand final it was yeah it was amazing and like you said um, and you spoke about
0: that um, Asian Elite referees panel and um, you were selected on that in 2010 and so then you um, were then a referee at the East Asian Football Federation Championships in Tokyo so um Tell us a bit about the tournament and and the finale being uh, the final between Japan and South Korea in front of sixty thousand spectators.
1: <laughs> yeah, again, this this one definitely stands out for me more, more so because you know I've had I've done some huge games internationally, but this one probably stands out the most for me because it was my first tournament or first game internationally, yeah. um, and you know it was quite funny the boys. Um, give me some stick about it at the time because I've just come onto the Asian Elite panel and my first ever appointment was Japan <laughs> which is like the pinnacle I yeah, guess definitely. for <laughs> to referee in Japan it was like the pinnacle for, for match officials from Australia but you know going to this tournament it was um, East Asian Championships there was four countries involved and I managed to do the final between Japan and South Korea which is two huge, rivalry. Two huge rivals and I was in it was in Tokyo National Stadium 60,000 I think it finished two all at the time there was a lot going on but you know to, to be the to be the main person you know making those decisions out there in the middle of the park in front of all those spectators you you don't really take it in until you actually walk out and you know one hour before kick off and, and it's electric you know it's full <laughs> and they're the chanting and you're walking around checking nets and checking the pitch, and you just look around. You just have to pinch yourself and say, "This is this bit real you know.
0: And and what about the um, sort of the added uh, complexity to refereeing at that international level, especially where you've got um, two countries where you know your native uh, language English isn't isn't their native language? Uh, how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, I think. I think it's important to, again, do your homework uh, yep. in preparation, you know, it's particularly going to a lot of the Western countries in Saudi Arabia, UAE, Qatar, English isn't their first language, and but it's also imper- important, I think, to, to learn some words yep. that they understand. Yep. So, it also, I guess, from their point of view, you know, you, you get them on side because... Yep. You, you you know some of the words and you know you know their language so yep you're, you're part of what they want to do so it you. shows that you've put a bit of prep and you're trying and to put your best foot forward absolutely so again part of the preparation we try to learn those key words you know stop and no more and yep but also some words that are going to break the ice you know yep. where you can have a joke on the field is important as well because when the temperature is high in the match you need to do something to, to try and bring it back down. It's a bit like it was explained to me, um, like a balloon. Yep. You know, So when you're pumping up a balloon, it's only going to burst. <laughs> so you've got to try and take some air out of the balloon at times, and you do that through facial expressions yep. or... you know, it, It's a little bit different in football, but in most sports, uh, I know they... And probably young referees, we, we wouldn't encourage them to touch players, but yep. at the elite level... Um, and you see on television, you know, referees have that interaction with players, yep. but there's that mutual respect. So it's very quite different than pushing a player or anything yeah. like that. Or But it's more so, come on, mate, you know, that that, that type of scenario where, come on, I'm here, I'm here to help you. Let's work together and move forward. So that's where the touching comes in. And, you know, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, don't touch a referee. A referee's not going to touch you, that type yeah. of scenario. But my, I guess my style was very touchy-feely with, with players, yeah. and that was not to push or anything like that in, in an aggressive manner, but more as an affectionate way to yep. say, I'm here to help you. So that also helps in international football because language is a problem. So you've got to try and work out ways, you know, you know, put tools in the toolkit that, that's <laughs> going to help you throughout the match. And, you know, they're all different, they're all different things. I had actually a, a situation where I had a Champions League game I think it was Al Jazeera in UAE in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. I've got a point of this match. Um, There's actually another story there down the track I can <laughs> mention, but you know I was refereeing this game and I remember having a joke with a few of the players in the in the tunnel and I was speaking a few you know a bit of Arabic and yep. you know I'm not that good at it, but you know that broke the ice and whatever. Yep. I think I was about 10 15 minutes in, in into the match. I gave a free kick to a player just outside the box, and he came up to me and kissed me on the head. <laughs> And I, like, <laughs> I didn't know how to take that, but this is this is the type of stuff, and it's I guess it's respect, you know, and it's probably the biggest word that, you know, if if you have that internationally, then the game generally, yeah, you know, you you do well.
0: And in terms of um, those sort of, like I said, post sort of that two thousand and ten, you did sort of heap of different fixtures 140 fixtures uh, of a league and and we can get maybe um, back to it in a minute about some other Asian Champions League games and some other international friendlies um, some of those bigger clubs that you refereed and talk about that but what about um, that sort of 2015 the professional footballers association which is pretty much the a-league players um, you know you're listed and and sort of awarded uh, referee of the decade and and um you know going back to say uh, my pretty uh reserve grade career here at bow you know um, one of the biggest awards that I enjoyed getting um, a couple of times was the the players player award because it's your peers or the people that you interact with that are giving you that award and sometimes the other awards are still great um, and you've had a few of them but what about that award? It must have been uh, overwhelming and sort of like you said, the respect that you'd gained had sort of come out in that award
1: Yeah, no, I, that's I I, I write that right up there as probably the, the biggest award that I've, I've received um, in the A-League domestically um, you know, refereeing a number of big games I guess, big blues and derbies and you know, grand finals you know, to be I guess identified by the players um, that you know that you interact with week after week um, as as the best or, or they feel is the best yep. is, is is phenomenal is you know it's pretty humbling that you, you go in there and you just want to go you referee but it's, it's actually you have a relationship with these guys off the park you know is, is also important because you know you're, you're coming into a game you can have a chat to them before the game there's that yep. mutual respect and to, you know, I was, I was voted referee of the, of the year a number of times from the PFA. Yep. Um, and then the, they had the um, Players of the Decade Award uh, or, or a ceremony that they had or an awards yep. night, um, which I got invited to and was named referee of the decade. So, look, that, that award is, is pretty special to me. And, you know, I look back on and, and I guess there's recognition for the hard work I put in, in you know, domestically.
0: And I don't want to, you know, sort of on your, on uh, different uh, websites, I saw that there was many, many other awards that you received, whether it be at the sort of local level here or at the State League level, but that one sort of, uh, I definitely wanted to talk about because it's it's a different type of award, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, and in terms of, um, sort of, uh, before we talk about some of the other big games that you did, you know, um, was it more a, a physical or mental aspect or um, your retirement you know you'd done uh, you know over 140 games and then probably another 20 to 50 games um, internationally different big games what sort of brought about your retirement in that sense
1: yeah look I think it was it was it was the right timing I was also uh, at work uh, offered a promotion yep. and it just all worked out that that, that the time was right I mean I say to a number of people that, I have said to a number of people that, um, no one, you know, no one can tell you when the time's right. You, only you will know when the time's yep. right. And I didn't want to be that person that got tapped on the shoulder and said, you know, time for you to go. Uh, I wanted to finish at the top. Uh, yep. my, my, my final game was the, was the semi-final between Adelaide and, um, Melbourne City, uh, in Adelaide, um. Uh, and you know things went well which was fantastic and I finished finished on a high and I wanted to finish at the top and be remembered I guess you know for the good things that I did in the game rather than you know on the way out and um, be remembered for all the poor decisions that that I made there was plenty of those as well (laughs) Um, but yeah look the time was right and the the promotion at work just all coincided you know at the time I was 41 or something like that and um, you know I wasn't going to become a full-time referee that had just been introduced so um it just all worked out well
0: and in terms of um that decision um you know post then um you know did you sort of miss the game in that sense and um you know what came with it because it's like you said you had the respect of the players in the A League to a certain extent, um, and and probably you know your other colleagues in the refereeing fraternity. So um, you know you didn't completely go out of the game. Um, you still had some involvement, but did you miss that sort of game day feeling?
1: I don't. I didn't miss. I didn't miss the the training. <laughs> I didn't miss all the preparation, all that sort of stuff. And 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 quite honest, um, you know, some some of the games you, it was a bit like you know. Everyone talks about well, it's pretty glamorous. You know, you're flying into, it, you're staying at a five star hotel, or, you know, you get driven to the game, all that sort of stuff. But after doing it for so many years, you you know you you become a little bit stale, and yep. you know it's just the run of the mill. And you know I didn't miss none of that, which was, which was good. But you know you you get the old derby or grand final or semi, and you go well, you know you know. 40,000 or whatever it is and you, you go well yeah would have, would have been pretty good to be a part of that but to be to be quite honest I didn't um go out of the game straight away or, or automatically moved into or got voted president of the professional referees association um which was which started in 2013 to I guess for as a voice for referees at yep. the elite level because um, they're an
0: important stakeholder in our game and and I guess um, we all, um, and I'm talking as a sort of committee um, player, we, we sometimes forget that, don't we?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, look, you know, you don't have referees, you don't have a game. It's it's simple. Um, and I guess my role as president was to raise awareness to other key stakeholders and, I guess, the FFA and, and the people in power that the referees, you know, when when the pie gets divvied up, you know, yep. that, that they need to have a slice, not the crumbs. You know, so it's really important that it that people understand, I guess, and it's and it's an investment. Really, refereeing people need to invest into refereeing because um, if you've got poor referees, you've got a poor product, and it's just as simple as that. And referees are no different to players, right? When when in regards to support, so you have a look at the elite football clubs, elite football teams. You know, they got a they got coaches, they got strength and conditioning, yep. they got Mental uh, well-being coaches, all that that comes with a professional model, um, and referees haven't even you know got five percent of that. So, and then these people, referees aren't full-time. They work Monday to Friday. They were you know expected then to fly to Melbourne or Adelaide or wherever it is, and then perform in a high-performance environment 90 minutes when you've just had a bad week at work. Um, you know we'll all was, that was, all
0: sat in a chair or or whatever or done a blue collar job and
1: absolutely so it 's from, from that end i guess I, I you know that was my giving back to, to, to the referees in the game and um I guess trying to raise awareness of where referees fit where, where we are we're a, a, you mentioned we're yes we are a key stakeholder in the game, so let 's have a chat and since that time you know we 've had some significant improvements and made Inroads into in, in some in some areas for for match officials, and um, I think that's really really important.
0: And and what about um you know um, var? You you're involved in in that aspect of the sport, and and it was uh, I think you were saying uh, first in the world to go live with var in a top league, and yep. and you know I don't want to get into the debate of um, what it's about, but um, how did um, yourself and and the other referees sort of um, sort of take it on board and learn learn the process of, of using that that tool.
1: So just before I, I retired, um, actually it was after I retired, uh, FFA came to me and said, "We want you to basically be the face of the VAR." Um, and I said, "And yeah, okay, look, I'm, I'm happy to do that." And it was maybe twelve months, eighteen months of training. It was uh, IFab had brought this out regarding, you know, the world was calling for technology. Yep. Uh, like in most sports to try and fix some of the howlers that were going on in football. And the one that comes to mind is the Terry Henry one against Ireland. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so I think that's what that, that was the final straw, that, that type of stuff. So FIFA and IFab started looking at this and they said, righto, what what can we do with the video technology? And there was a number of months of testing and they brought out, they put it out there and said, righto, who wants to be a part of it? But there was all this special, you know, all this criteria that you had to meet. Had to be ticked off. Had to be ticked off because you needed X amount of cameras at the game, you needed this, you needed that. So initial interest was about 90-something countries that said, yeah, look, we want to take part. And then when the criteria came out, only left six, and Australia <laughs> being one of them, and um, so they started going through the process of offline and online uh, training. So you know there was uh, make-up games, mock games, yep. where there would be a penalty situation, someone would fall over, and then you know there was no contact, and then they'd go up to, to review and then change decisions. So there was a there was a lot of training involved, and. Uh, I guess I became the first person in the world to go live in the first league. So FIFA was out here, IFAB. uh,
0: So IFAB for for the uninitiated is?
1: International Football Association Board. Yep. Um, So they're the ones that make the rules or or the laws (laughs) of the game, game, right? Um, And tick off and all that. So anyway, I think the biggest thing with VAR and at the time when it came in, people did not have a clue of you know what's involved how does it work yep. when does a VAR get involved when they don't get involved so there was a lot of uncertainty which caused a lot of frustration and I think that's the, the key with VAR having used it and, and being a traditionalist myself and I understand those people that come out and say "Well, will get rid of the VAR and, and and all that but pre-VAR there was call for Referees' heads, there was called this is the disgrace, you know, yeah. bring in technology <laughs> and everything else that came with it because football's huge amount of money is involved in football now, and that's why it was brought in. Um, I think when it first came out, it was really important that the general public are educated or should have been educated on it. Now, people are starting to find out slowly and slowly starting to understand it, but I think the critical thing here is that. People need to be educated of how VAR works and even go behind the scenes yep. and and show footage of when the VAR gets involved and when they don't... Oh, sorry. Every decision, just to be clear, that VAR looks at those in those four areas of penalty, red card, mistaken identity and goals. And th- those incidents get reviewed automatically by the VAR as play's going on. And the VAR will only get involved... If there is a clear and obvious error, or or, or I'll call it the howler, that's the only time that the VAR should get involved. So with that in mind, I think those big decisions, Mm -hmm. and and over the last couple of years, as as has been refined, um, there's been a high bar set of when the VAR should get involved. So initial stages when there was uncertainty and everyone's testing around the world, VAR was getting involved because... Are trying to re refer the game, or it's a different mentality. You're not a referee, <laughs> you're trying to say, Okay, it might not be the right decision. However, is it a howler? Yeah. So that's the grey area that you've got to um, either side of and say, Yes, it, it is a howler, and I'm going to get involved.
0: So, I guess, um, I guess the key to the evolution of VAR is more about education, especially for the public. Absolutely. The commentators who who can sometimes push their own agendas. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, uh, we see it throughout social media as well. Yes. It has its own sort of uh, population now that can sort of dictate what happens in various parts of our lives. So, um, yeah, I think that's the key,
1: do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. Education, number one for me. I think if people understand it um, properly, then they will, you know, those de- when there is a decision of a penalty can or a red better. card, they can assess it better or make their own mind up to say, well, I understand what the VAR's thinking. Look, and what maybe is, maybe isn't, we could debate it, but that's why they haven't got involved, right? So, look, really the impact of the VAR needs to be where there's 20 people in a room and non-football people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they all say, yes, that's, they got that wrong. Rather than if it's like a 15-5... and five, Yep. Well, it's not clear and obvious. Yep. There is some doubt. So in those situations, the VAR shouldn't touch it. Even to the purest, they, they will say, that's a penalty every day of the week, or that's that's a red card every day of the week. Yeah. Um, that's the difficult part when you've got 30 seconds or a minute to make a decision where is that <laughs> 20 out of 20 going to be you know, obvious?
0: And is it harder as well that... Um, eh in that sort of VAR room, that you then you're not part of the game. When you're part of a game, you know you're part of it. You know you're, you're understanding the crowd, the players. Like you said, you do the preparation, and you do the preparation probably for VAR as well. But it, it's sort of a, a different environment as well, isn't
1: it? Absolutely. I mean, there's you're in a room. There's there's you know multiple screens. You you have an assistant with you. So if if you're reviewing something, the assistant VAR. He's still watching the game live, just in case there's another incident. Yep. And then you've got the um, operator, so you know the technology is Hawkeye, and they're they're you're saying, give me this camera angle, give yep. me camera angle six. That they're giving you that information because you don't operate it yourself. Yep. You're after that information to be able to make a decision, um, so then you can communicate to the match officials on. on so at the moment the VAR booth or is, is using the bunker in Redfern with the okay. NRL bunker. Okay. So you're not at the game. Whereas in the first year when we're testing and doing it, we're live at the stadium. So, you know, from that end, I guess you could potentially go down at half-time and talk to the referee. Yep. Whereas now you don't have that interaction because you're in Redfern in Sydney um, in a, at the bunker and the game's in Perth. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> And,
0: and and what about now um, uh, what, what's your involvement in the game officially
1: so I've, I'm still president of the professional football referees association currently uh, we've had a lot of input into what's been going on at congress and with the FFA and you know the independent league yep. um, all that sort of stuff we've had input into that which has been I guess phenomenal you know to you know as a key stakeholder it's important that referees are considered, and, and I understand that, you know, the, the independent A-League, I guess, I have identified that that there needs to be significant investment in referees so they can, um, you know, referee... To the pe- best of their abilities. Best of their ability, prepare like a player, do post-match like a player, recovery. Um, again, no different to a player. You know, pr- a, a player in where the where 11th, now 12th team of the A-League... So, as a club, we need to, as a team, we need to prepare no different to Sydney FC or Melbourne Victory or anyone else. And the and the clubs, or the independent A League, have identified that now and are going to provide significant investment. So referees can be full time and they can prepare accordingly and you know come to a game 100% prepared to you know lock like a player in 90 minutes.
0: So you still sort of, I guess, uh, have that interaction in the sport and, um, like you said, you've built up your body of work where you've now sort of that advocate for referees at that elite level. So you still must be pretty pretty, uh, ecstatic about what you did from those sort of mid-teen years at a local level here in the Illawarra to to where you got to.
1: Yeah, you you know... We live in a bubble, I guess, or even, you know, at the elite level, players, administrators, coaches live in a bubble, and it's like most sports in the elite level where you don't really get an opportunity to get outside the bubble to, to look at that sort of stuff and what you've achieved. Um, but, you know, you know, people come up to you and, you know, you know, what about this and what about that? You remember that game, and you, it's just... It's gone so quick, you know. It's gone so quick, and it's... It, it, it's but like most people, you know they got to start somewhere, and I guess my calling now is to give back yep. to you know people that know me. I'm very passionate about referees. I understand yep. what I came through and, and through the system and how referees, I guess, are treated. Yep. Um, but also having seen it from the elite level and internationally, the way referees get treated and the respect shown. Uh, internationally, for for match officials is is phenomenal. So I guess my work is only just beginning, you know, in that area to try and drive change, to try and change mentalities of of of, of and perceptions of match officials. Uh, I guess I, I feel very strongly about that, and it's my time now to give back to to the game, as particularly in match officials or in the admin admin side of it. And um,
0: before we uh, finish up, you know, um, what are some of the other sort of uh, moments, uh, whether they be sort of uh, funny or sort of out of the ordinary that you had? Like one of the ones that you mentioned was um, at Abu Dhabi uh, the day before um, a match day in the Asian Champions League, you lost your voice. (laughs) How how did you lose your voice and uh, (laughs) what happened?
1: Yeah, look, um, I remember... uh, watching that show Mega Structures on on Foxtel, and that <laughs> they, they built they built this the fastest roller coaster in the world in Abu Dhabi, and coincidentally, I, I uh, was appointed to a match in a, a, you know I mentioned before in it was Al Jazeera in Abu Dhabi, and I, I was pretty excited because I, I, whilst doing the game, I was also in this in this place, and I wanted to go see this roller coaster, so we went to Ferrari World, which is which yep. is what it's a part of. And we went out there and um did the tour and I we went out and um there was two assistants that came with me, Nathan McDonald and Paulson Centrangolo from Adelaide. And um we we lined up and I said to him, I mean I, I get scared going on merry-go round, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even think about going on a roller coaster, but we we were lined up and one of the boys said, Look, I'm gonna go on this thing and I said, Right good luck to you, I'll I'll line up with you and I'll take a photo when you get on and I'll exit stage left. <laughs> And look, there's Paul, actually um, a good mate of mine from Adelaide, who's was an assistant referee. Um, he's, he he gets he gets scared on a plane, a bit of turbulence, and he's holding <laughs> on. And he I don't know what clicked, and he said, "I'm I'm um, actually I'm going on. You know, I've come all this way. I'll probably never come here ever again. At least I can say." I think he timed it. It was like two minutes or whatever it was. <laughs> and he said, um, "You know, I can probably hold on for that, and I'm I'm going to give it a go." So. Then all the peer pressure started, you know. <laughs> you know, you're this, you're that. You, you, you know, you just call yourself a referee and you're blah soft, blah blah. You're yeah. soft <laughs> and everything else. And I remember lining up, and they, the gates open. We're we'll, we'll next to go out. They, they went in, locked themselves into this thing, and um, I took a couple of photos. And the actual operator said to me, "Look, mate, you'll be right. Look at all these kids are coming off." You know, I said, "No, no chance. He goes, come on, mate. You'll be, you'll be good." <laughs> So I went. I just. I don't know. I just sat down, and once it clicked in, um, then uh, uh, that was it. I was. <laughs> I knew I was in, in the world of hurt at the moment, and I was then for. I was I all was screaming, top of my lungs. You know, for for whatever that however that long that the exhilaration felt, felt, of the ride, the scariness felt and... like an eternity. Um, <laughs> it was the fastest ride in the world. Anyway, I lost my voice. So this was pre-match, right? This was the day before the game, and. um. I remember what uh, referee in the game. I didn't have a voice, so um, I, it was only hand signals and facial <laughs> expressions. And you mentioned about the communication. Yeah. well, there wasn't much communication in that game, uh, verbally anyway. So yeah, it was a pretty pretty funny incident.
0: Trevor, sure, we're we'll, we'll talking about um, sort of other incidents in in games that you rec- recall, and and there was a, a semi final um, one year Melbourne victory and and, and Brisbane roar. Uh, tell us what happened.
1: Yeah, I was actually. Yeah, Brisbane were were winning. I think at the time one nil, and you know it was deep, deep in the game. Late, might have been even the last kick of the game. And I think uh, Melbourne Victory were attacking, and it was they made a run into the box, and Milligan went down. Mark Milligan went down, and I played on. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a good view of it, and I wasn't a hundred percent, so I, I didn't give it. But you know, when you look at the replays, it, it was a penalty, and it would have probably made it one all, uh going into extra time. So, you know, look, as as one of those ones as refs that, you know, we get wrong. I've, you know, yep. made a couple of those in the, in, <laughs> you know, particularly Sydney FC and Melbourne victory penalty, but it was talked about um, around the world, actually. But, look, this one in particular, you know, it's, it's one of those ones we, we make those decisions and we have to live with them. It's, yep. it, it's part of the game. But, um, actually, it was... Interesting story. Um, uh, Kevin Musket, I guess, was was the coach at the time, and you know he went to town in the media. But credit to him, we had the A League awards the very next day, and um, he he walked over to me. You know, the whole room actually was. Was, was looking at us, you know, there was about 900 people in the room and he walked over thinking, and tapped me on the shoulder. Thinking he
0: was going to go off in some sense. Yeah, I thought, here he goes, <laughs> he, he's,
1: he's going to continue on. But no, look, he, he, he tapped me on the shoulder, said, can I have a chat? And um, I, uh, you know, he, he, he apologised for, for his comments and I said, it's not a problem, I understand it's heat at the moment, things happen and things are said. But that's, uh, you know, I, I respect that and, and no dramas. Actually, the, the the fox table that was right next to us and... Or, you know, Bozer and came over, and and um, Simon Hill and Michael Zapony and they all wanted to know what happened or what was said. But actually, Michael Zapony wanted me on the SEN Radio the next the next day or two days after, which I was happy to go on, and if I yep. approved it, and I and I straight up said, you know that um, I made a mistake, you know, before the interview actually on SEN, people writing in and social media and all this and wanting blood and <laughs> Dolovsky this and Dolovsky that. But I guess in 12 minutes um, in the interview and, and I explained what I saw and I explained that I wasn't 100% and I made a mistake and I put my hand up and, you know, I can't change it now, but that's that's this is the world we live in. And in, in 12 minutes, you know, the mentality or a completely change of the of the punters and, and the listeners that they said, Well, you know, good on him for putting his hand up. He's made a mistake, he's human, he doesn't have replays. Um that's, you know, he's got a split second decision to make. So, you know, look that that's that's the world we live in as, as referees at the elite level in a high performance environment. This is um you know, this is what it's about. There's there's highs and there's lows. No different to the <laughs> Melbourne Victory, Sydney F C penalty, that was, was not a penalty but regarded as one of the worst decisions ever given But that, that's 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 what we that's what this is the world we live in but uh i think it probably goes back to um the interview that we've had um
0: thus far is that you know um your honesty um uh, with with players especially meant that you know um that was you you could come out and have that discussion um be confident in yourself and 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 your body of work and and say, well, this is what happened, this is how I came about that decision.
1: Yeah, well, it doesn't... doesn't, I mean, I guess if you put your hand up, you know, like whether you're a player, administrator, whatever the case may be, it it kills it there and then. Nothing festers, there's no preconceived ideas or, you know, the referee, you know, people question the integrity or Or anything like that. that You made a mistake and um, it's going to happen in football. It happens in football, whether a striker misses from the six-yard box... um, The goal from the six-yard box, or keeper lets one through his hands, (laughs) referee makes a bad call. It's part and parcel. It's just part of the game. Did they
0: test you early in your career, Um, sort of like a sort of first or second year teacher, where or a substitute teacher at you know kids sort of uh, give, their, give them a bit of a crack in the classroom. In those first couple of years at that A-League level, did people sort of sort of test you out in that sense and see where your boundaries were as a referee?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I even even remember vividly going back to Premier League um, down in, you know, Claude Cellini. I remember, yeah. I think it was Tarawana that was refereeing and um, I remember speaking to Claude and, you know, I was... Yelling at him at one stage, and he was yelling back, and it was like who could get high and it was, and it, was, it became ridiculous at the end. That's <laughs> that's that's how it was throughout the game. So, I try not to, you know, and learning from that, I it was important that you remain calm and conf- confident. You pick your moments, um, and you know, speaking to players, and they're viewed differently on the on the camera or on the TV because the media know which players are going to say what and yep. how and how they react. So when there is an incident, the first camera angle's on that player. Yep. Yet for the majority of the match, we have, I have an interaction with them that we can talk. And at the elite level, again, you have those relationships and you can talk to players in a, in a particular way. And um, it, it helps you, helps you in, in the match.
0: And um, as we uh, finish up here, uh, I'd just like to uh, uh, thank you for your time, uh, especially on a Sunday morning um, when you could be doing uh, other things and, and really respect uh, and appreciate uh, uh, coming here today and, and what you've done. Um, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's important that we get our stories, um, th- how varied they are, and um, you know, you're a credit to yourself and your family and, and, um, and, and refereeing not just in the Illawarra, but, you know, Australia and internationally. So, Shrebrae, I really appreciate your time and, and thanks for giving us an insight. It's been brilliant.
1: Thanks, mate. Not a problem. Anytime.
0: Thanks again to Shrebrae for his time and journey. We didn't have time to explore the entire depth of his journey, but nonetheless, we spoke about quite a lot. Thanks for downloading this episode, and I appreciate your support. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.